The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lauer. We are coming to you live from the Upright Digital Podcast Studios in Houston, Texas. I'm joined, as usual, with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? Josh, I'm doing great. I feel like we had this conversation only moments ago, which... We, we did. Which we actually did because... This is a bit unique. Yes. Today's podcast is literally part two, a follow-on conversation with Neil Dykeman, uh, founder and portfolio manager at Energy Transition. We're Ventures. skipping the pleasantries today. Yes, what you're telling we're, me. What I'm telling we're friends you is, already. What I'm telling you is we are just going to pound into this discussion because I, I hope what's happened is everyone listened to part one. Pins and needles. And, and immediately wanted to jump to part two. I agree. And so... Um, the only difference is I've, I had an espresso in the middle of this. Yes. So I'm going to be hyped up. You are Neil ready. is hyped up. <laughs> you are ready to yeah. go. We are, we are all ready to go. So Neil, building on our conversation in part one, um, you talked about uh, the challenges of, of Houston as a place to do venture capital. You've talked about some of the challenges of energy and energy transition venture capital. Um, and yet, you're in this business. You started a fund because you must have thought there were great opportunities. Oh, we, we think there's an untold wealth of opportunities in early stage in energy transition now. I mean, it's just, this is not 2005 or 2008. There's better teams than there were back then. There's more capital out there, more follow-on capital. Customers care in ways they didn't back then. Cost structures are an order of magnitude better, opening up huge new markets. It's yeah. awesome. And the world's decided we need energy transition now. We're not playing at it anymore. We're not We're playing going at it. hard. And so when you told us you have four portfolio companies in And your we fund, need a lot more, yes. Okay. Yes. And so where do we find those companies? Ooh, What's, what sectors are you looking at? What do you, where do you think the opportunities are? Well, to be fair, Dan, I'm here on your podcast because I'm hoping to find some more companies to fund, which means I need founders listening to podcasts to call me before they come go call some other idiot venture capitalist. <laughs> you're the very, you're, very supportive group you, of the Houston. You want to be their favorite idiot. Is what I, you're I need to be their favorite idiot. My <laughs> LPs depend on me to find them and give them money. We've got those idiots. Yes. Right. No, no I'm the, the venture capitalist or the parasite. Oh, remember? yes. Well, the founders are gold. The founders it's, are king. It's a mixed bag audience. Oh, okay. He, he's the idiot. He just wants the smart founders to love him. You're yes. Gonna, well, we've got somebody in there that you'll like. Perfect. So 
what areas are you thinking? We're, we're going to come back to your portfolio in a second, but what areas are you looking at that, that you haven't invested in yet that you think are should be ripe? So let's start from the premise that we're not a sectoral or thematic investor. We back teams. Okay. So there are a lot of sectors that we would put money to work in. And frankly, if it says energy in it and it's not fossil it's probably within our scope. And if it is in fossil and it's low carbon, it's probably within our scope. So we're pretty broad in that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, venture capitalists back teams. Okay. So we do have areas, however, that we find interesting and we're hunting in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll Let's give you a couple of them. Yeah. And, and to be fair, a couple of these, we've been hunting for a while and we've been striking out. HVAC, broadly defined. Heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And air conditioning. Right. I mean, Dan, I know them all. Dan is, if you go back to episode one, Dan is obviously just on the acronym so, today. And it just so happens my great grandfather was the dean of the UT Engineering School, and he was an HVAC and air conditioning engineer. And my grandfather was an air conditioning engineer who got into refining engineering later. And so my, I, I, I love this business. Very popular guy in Houston, Texas. I'm. Back in well, back in the day, in Texas was one of the major air conditioning markets in the world. So, <laughs> of course, for good reason. Of course, right. And so there's a whole lot of talk these days about electric heat pumps, and we're trying to decarbonize. And be, if someone's trying to do that, well, okay, our HVACs burn a lot of gas or fuel oil or you know for heaters in the Northeast and all that, and it, it's a harder sector. And we're still running off of stuff that is straight out of my grandfather's and great grandfather's book, Air Conditioning, the textbook in 1955, and is straight out of the history book my great grandfather wrote you know, about the men who invented cold. This stuff isn't new. So we've been looking for great products, new ideas, new business models, something, because we don't think we should be doing HVAC in 20 years the same way we're doing it now. And it's big industry, right? The biggest HVAC factory in the world is in Houston, Texas, up in Waller. If you've ever flown in, you've seen it from you the have. air. Yes. It's massive. From I mean, it's just massive under square foot. So, and just as a little fun aside, basically two of the largest M and A's in venture back clean tech history are HVAC, Nest, and Ecobee. Hmm. Just I mean, put that in perspective, right? It's not what you would think about when you think so about Nest. It. Nest is essentially demand management, right? Well, it's a it's a smart thermostat which okay. was supposed to also do demand management. Okay. And then the other one, Ecobee? A smaller version of Nest. Didn't get quite okay. as big. Okay. So that's an area we're hot on. We're obsessed with anything on this grid stuff, as we talked about earlier. So microgrids, automation tech, you know, things that allow batteries to be delivered better. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, and some of that is like, grid hardware things home mm -hmm. automation vehicle to grid a lot of stuff there and some of it might look like a consumer product like an hvac mm -hmm. or a hot water heater or some code or or an app or whatever so that those are two areas of keen interest to us we're still looking heavily in software we've invested in a lot of hardware we're one of the few venture funds in this area that is not afraid of hard what they call hard tech you know, deep tech, that sort of thing. We like hardware. My, my partner's mechanical engineer. Hardware, yeah. manufacturing, things, manufacturing, building things. We, yeah, and I'll, I'll get to why in a second, but yeah, we're also very interested in SaaS, software as a service type plays in energy and clean tech. 
Uh, we've not found ones that we want to do. Drone Base, our first drone company, is kind of a SaaS play, but it's really delivering a service more than more than software. Uh -huh. So we're definitely interested in in new software plays. Yeah, the uh, the challenge with a SaaS play in clean tech, to be honest, is if you're going to play software, you want to play a great software company, not just a great energy software company. So we hold those startups to the same standard that if we were investing in a SaaS only fund across all sectors, we'd still pick that one. You know, we don't we just because just because it's an energy. Hey, man, you got to you got to grow at the same kind of metrics and deliver the same kind of performance any other software venture fund does or you're not going to get your IPO off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've been looking but haven't haven't bit yet. Yeah, we are obsessed with what we call business model plays, the higher level applications. Right. OK, so we decided we think solar is dirt cheap. Great. What solar does that mean? Power solar power is cheap. Solar electrons Therefore, are cheap now. So what does that mean? What businesses can we bet on that you could not have bet on 10 or 20 years ago? Is it a yeah, test equipment business on solar modules or batteries? Is it a developer of yeah, green hydrogen plants? Because solar power is cheap and electrolyzers are getting cheap. And so who's going to build a business off it? There may not be no tech in these businesses. It may be more, you know, just how all go to market. Yeah. yeah. But you can build some great companies there. Yeah, the, so we're really, really excited about those areas, and we've been looking, hunting across them. We do spend time in ag tech and in water. Those are water is traditionally a rough area for venture, but we know it and like it, and we think the the coming problems are, are material. So if we could find a, a a tech or a business that we liked, we were not afraid of that sector. And we definitely are interested in ag tech. And I keep kidding my partner. He says we don't do ag tech. I say we do ag tech. He says, no, we don't. I say, look, our one of our first startups, you know, Omium, which is the green hydrogen electrolyzer company, what do they do? They make hydrogen. Well, no, they make boxes that make hydrogen from electrons. And some of our customers, big customers, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of orders, using that hydrogen to make ammonia for fertilizer. Sounds ag tech to me. I, I thought, when I think of ag tech, I think of things like, Storing carbon in plants. Oh, we've been looking at that too. C okay. CCU broadly defined, but we do have a theory that not other funds do. We believe that CO2 is cheap to abate and that renewable energy is cheap to make. And so when people show up and say, well, I, yeah, oh, it's going to take us 100 to $500 a ton to abate this. I'm like, hey, the Texas boys think they can go shove CO2 down hole for 30 bucks a ton and I can plant a tree for cheaper than that. So... Come on, man. The, the world does not need us to deliver climate change the expensive way. It needs us to deliver it at scale, the cheap way, and the reliable way. So we've got a little bit of a bias that uh, some of these CCU technologies we've been a little bit hesitant on. The one we've backed, another electrolyzer company, turning electrons into precursors to plastics, we think can do it cheaper than the current natural gas processes by a lot and carbon-free. That's why we bet on them. It's a new novel catalyst to do something new and interesting. We did not bet on them because we think somebody will buy low-carbon plastic. We know somebody will buy low-carbon plastic. We bet on them because we think these guys can make it cheaper than from conventional. Yeah. Neil, how do you – so let's – one of the things you said earlier was technology, you know, in, in energy is, is – pennies on the ground, but bending over to pick them up was the expensive part. And so talk a little bit about getting to market with a good product. If you've got right. green plastic, 
why is it you know how do you how do you get somebody to to buy it or buy a lot of it or what's the scaling issue how do you get to market with a good product so we talked earlier in the first podcast about projects versus products and one of the things that we've noticed and again my my partner is actually a product guy for most of his career he started in energy products at a firm called IDEO doing design of products I'm not a product guy. I'm a finance guy, as we talked about, who stumbled into into venture and selling things. So there are not a lot of product managers in middle America, certainly not in energy, certainly not in Texas. Product management as a discipline tends to have come from consumer or the tech world. Great project managers, people that can run big businesses but not create and manage products, yeah, the my favorite story on this when I was at Shell, I was looking and trying to figure out where are we going to get product managers because if we're going to go spin things out of our Shell labs, we need some product people. Product people selling to customers, finding people, people to buy the stuff. Defining what to branding, sell to customers. Yeah, okay. The branding, the definition. How big is it? What is its features? What can it cost? How do you get it to market? And I was talking to some of my friends at Baker Hughes, which at that year, Baker had rolled out basically a new product a day. They'd rolled out 200 products that year. And some of them would sell a couple million dollars for their first year. Some of them, the best ones would sell 100 or 200 million dollars in their first year. And they'd announce something like, you know, a billion dollars worth of new sales from new products, yep. which was one of the most awesome things I've ever seen. Inside of Baker, there were only like 20 product managers in one organization. So the whole of the old patch didn't realize there's 20 people that have basically are underpinning all the new stuff because Baker was like half or two thirds of the new products in the old patch that year. They were just really prolific at it. So I, I think part of the challenge is to find great product managers to solve these problems. And product management is, is, is hard. The yeah, good startup teams have to learn how to be a product manager and a product guy, a product person, or the best tech isn't going to come to market. Most of the teams that we've backed, they had a pretty good product idea and a pretty good go-to-market when they came to us. Some of them we tweak it a little bit. Our resilient power guys, for example, they're building a solid state transformer. This thing turns 15 kV line power into low voltage power at whatever voltage, you know, pick your favorite voltage, pick your favorite power and AC or DC that you want. It's an awesome piece of tech. They had originally invented it to go into grit, sell to utility companies. Well, utility companies are hard. And somewhere halfway around the way, before they met us, they'd figured out, no, this needs to be sold as an EV fast charger because the EV guys are having to buy, they got a power problem to put their fleets out there when they need to charge through fast charging. They've got to buy transformers that take a long time to order. They've got to buy inverters. They've got to run a lot of wires. They have a lot of messy stuff to manage. Great, this product is a fraction of all that kit they're doing. The, the company and, and the, the, my founder there, yeah, when he sends out an email or talks to you, he just tells you, my name is Josh. I work for Resilient Power. We are making you know, EV fast chargers at one-tenth the size and cost. That is his tagline. So he'd already kind of focused down on the one product area to go work on. Mm -hmm. And it resonated with us. We talked about, well, should we do something else first? And the answer was no. You guys have picked our yeah, our OMEM guys and Renew CO2, our ones doing electrolyzers for make plastics, they'd already figured out they weren't going to go make chemical plants. They weren't going to sell catalysts. They weren't going to make cells. They were going to make hardware 
300 kilowatt to a megawatt class hardware, that kind of size, human scale boxes, and they were going to make a lot of them, and they were going to sell them to the people who wanted to make green hydrogen. Yeah, so we could pivot, we could adjust, but we already came to alignment on a bit of the go-to-market in the product. And quite frankly, if we didn't like their product, or if we didn't like their go-to-market, but we liked them and the tech, we have a discussion up front. It's like, hey guys, I, I don't, this is a hard road to hoe. Do you want to change? And we try and get alignment up front. And then before we have you invested. Before. Now, in these cases, we were pretty close to agreement. And that's We just kind of all saw the world eye to eye. And if we have to pivot, if it doesn't work, we'll pivot. And then we'll do the same thing, come up to a new alignment. In our firm, we call it pounding the rock. Find your rock and pound the rock. And only pound one rock between the tackles. Run downhill. Find daylight. Whatever sports yeah, yeah, uh, analogy you want. And if you're wrong and you need to pivot, great. And then let's pound that rock. And only that rock between those tackles. And yeah, um, the, so to us, that's a bit of what this product thing is about. It's about figuring out what your rock is. What is your reason for being? Figuring out what you're going to sell, what you're going to make, who your customer is, and then going and pounding that rock. And at really early stage, you mainly know some stuff. But most of our companies, this is energy. You know, when an energy company cares about what you do, it's not small dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if Shell's only giving you a million dollars in revenue, they don't care about your product. When Shell cares, the cash is uncapped. When energy, ca- I mean, you know this. Companies in the energy mm-hmm. sector, they'll pop. You'll have first-year revenues will be tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. It may take a while to get there, but when they've figured out that it works, it's not like a million dollars year one going to five, going to. It's you know this company did fifty million in its first-year revenues, and. Sometimes there's hiccups and you can't quite do that. But man, I've been involved in companies that have done that. And some of them were just basic, boring products. But in energy, everything is big. Uh-huh. So if you get that product right, it'll blow out. Yeah, and our, our Omium guys, you go look at their website. Since we invested, these are the ones making the green O-M-M. hydrogen electrolyzers. O-H-M-I-U-M? Yes. Okay. Um, a play off of the word ohm, yep. right? Yeah, they've announced gigawatts of projects for their customers. Well, electrolyzers, the going rate, we think we got the cheapest electrolyzer product in the market. Yeah, but the going rate that people are selling them for in the market these days, is probably $700, $800 a kilowatt. So if you're talking gigawatts, you're talking some serious revenue numbers, right? right? So they're, they're getting all that business coming in because every project is several hundred megawatts to a gigawatt. Yeah, you, know, you may buy some pilot stuff up front, but the but a real commercials, that's a several hundred million dollar order. Uh-huh. So this is energy, guys. There ain't nothing small about energy. Yeah. There's nothing that's low scale in energy, or it doesn't matter. So one of the things you talked about, Neil, is you've you've shepherded a number of companies through um through the process and you talked about IPOs. Um what's an exit look like for a company that's for you guys that starts as a venture company is an exit selling it to a private equity firm is it do we think there's a an ipo market for smallish energy transition businesses what's where where do you take your companies dan that's why i hang out with you because you know these end buyer markets we're gonna we're that, that's absolutely right we will find the what? other idiots that yeah. will will well Come no, in. as one of our other guests said, right? He, this this is actually when he was talking a minute ago, I think it was Jim Hughes 
we had him on and he said, you know, our problem is to solve this portion and it'll be somebody else's issue down the road. And this is, this was, I'm listening to Neil talk, you know, your, your role in this is now, and we're going to solve this initial problem. We're going to find the investor, find the product or service or widget, if you will. And we're going to take it to this step. And then here comes the group behind us to take it to the next level with scale. And it, look at the you're right, you're right in line. It's perfect. Back in the day, that return study I did for Shell, there were 77 venture-backed exits in total in clean tech that were bigger than $50 million. Okay. Not like returns to the investors. Like, that was the exit value. About half IPO, half M&A. Since then skyrocketed and a bunch of those ones that went IPO have done super well aftermarket 10, 20 X more. And, you know, Tesla's and Sunruns as examples. And um, so the world's certainly better than it was. Mm -hmm. We had our little SPAC boom. Yes. Which, you know, may be over, may not, you know, and I don't think anyone is planning on that, but it created some really high dollar exits. Yeah. For, from very young companies in many cases. So there's always stuff like that that happens. There's there's some bubbles or waves that you gotta catch and hit. But bottom line, you want to IPO a company, you gotta build a great company. Yeah, and if we get lucky and we can IPO it earlier and we want to, okay, we'll, we'll do that. So the, but if I want y'all, if I want Pickering to go take a deal out for me or to come join the cover and help sell it to y'all's investors, you know, I gotta build a good company. Mm -hmm. And then I gotta sit y'all down with them and, and create the structure. Yeah, so if I can get big enough to a company big enough to do a, a nice classic IPO, I mean, you can tell us what you think the metrics are today. This is a choppy market. If we can set it up so it's a good fit for a SPAC buyer, okay, uh, or yeah, a yeah, direct listing or fine. I mean, the cornerstone of the venture market probably is M and A to a corporate. Uh -huh. PE funds tend not to buy companies off venture funds because usually. If it's got to where it's making good cash flow, it's usually still growing, and then you can usually get a much better exit than selling it to a PE fund. Yeah, or and if it's midish size, but it's not really throwing off the cash flows to do leverage, the natural buyer is probably a corporate. We call up Pickering and we say, "Hey guys, I need you to go sell my company," and they find a buyer that says, "Hey, I want that product." Don't <clears throat> don't you think? I mean, it seems to me like a very hungry buyer set is going to be the conventional energy companies Absolutely. that want exposure to, to energy transition, or it's going to be the traditional energy and power companies that want exposure to this disruptor type I, technology. I think so. I mean, think about it. If you are Halliburton or Schlumberger, you know, two of our big, or Baker, kind of our three big oil field service companies, companies yeah. or the 15 behind that. Yep. And, you want some material business in energy transition, what do you do? Well, yeah, you can roll out some product. And some of these guys, they're going after geothermal and CCS. They're working on building some businesses. But you, you, if I can build you a company that's doing a, enough sizable revenues to really be meaningful to your shareholder, hell yeah, you're going to buy it. In fact, there's not going to be very many of those companies because you know, there's just a relative to the amount of demand and capital and there's just a dearth of great young energy transition companies. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we're in the business of manufacturing things to sell to those guys at, at our heart of hearts by backing great founders. But we got to go build some cool businesses. And along the way, some of them are not going to become very big businesses, but they're going to be valuable to somebody and they'll get sold and we and our founders will still still do well. And some of them will not turn out and we'll you know, have to 
put on our big boy pants and say, you know what, Dan, this one didn't work out. We're going to wrap it up and we want you to come work on the next one with us. Yeah. Neil, I know you've, you've closed your, I think you've closed your fundraising on your, your current fund. Was it easy or hard? Hard. Fundraising's hard. You think it's hard for a startup? It's harder for a venture capitalist. In, in energy transition or everywhere? It seems like anybody could raise a venture fund in tech. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm genericizing that because I'm, I'm the outside looking in on that. I'm on the inside looking out on, on energy. Um, so you just said it, it was hard. It's always hard. Always I, ours hard. was, I mean, we had a great anchor. Yep. And our first close was just them. Yeah. And then we brought in another big corporate and a couple of very, very smart institutions and a bunch of founders into a second close and it worked out well. And, but partly because we had, we partnered with a really good backer to start with mm -hmm. and Craig and I know what we're doing and we had yeah. a great portfolio. Um, but this is a, I mean, he and I have been doing this a long time, but this is a first time fund in this brand and first time funds are just hard. Right. Yeah. So the, uh, a lot of what you see is the ease of all these big, massive funds getting raised and the number of them is really indicative of, yeah, the world wants more startups, not just in energy, but everywhere. We need more venture capitalists. We need more founders. There's, especially when there's a big run up in stock market, the institutional investors and private wealth, they, they want a piece. Corporates, when they're interested in a sector like energy transition, they're trying, they use corporate venture to engage in startups. So they want to invest in funds to get access. So there's some neat pools of capital to go hit. It's a global business these days. Yeah, you, know, you can get on a plane and hit, you know, Sydney, New York, Houston, yeah, Middle East, London, Korea, mm -hmm. Japan. There's a lot of places to go to get capital. Yeah, but it's a it's a hard fundraising process, just like any other fundraising process. By the way, the podcast is in all those cities. No big deal. Is it now? Yes, yes, it is. Podcasts are literally in every city in the world. It's Josh. amazing. Yes. Not the podcasts not are the blogging of the 2020s there we uh, go you you were a blogger you said at one point in time so. you, do you know why i don't have a podcast dan why because my partner claims that when venture capitalists start podcasts it's because they're having trouble with their fund and they need something else to do <laughs> so he won't let me start one that's why I, i'm so excited to be on yours I, I think neil what what your partner knows is that if you had a podcast every podcast would be three hours they'd be a fascinating <laughs> it would never three hours but you'd spend half your half your time but i want to get this last question asked before we go to this deal because i I've, I've got to highlight entrepreneurs what yes. advice do you want would you give to an energy transition entrepreneur a founder we literally spent four sessions at the ion mm -hmm. for an hour each in how to be a first-time founder we're going to publish all the little videos. It's, it's, it's how to start a company, how venture funds work, how you know, to raise money from venture capitalists, and how not to screw up your company afterwards. Mm -hmm. That was the session. whole thing was about this advice. But let's try and boil it down. Okay. Look, you have, we all have two choices in life. We can work for somebody or we can start something. And those are fine choices. You don't have to do a startup. I like it. It's fun. It's a blast. It's also stressful and, you know, and, and hard and all that. But frankly, it's stressful sitting in a big company and worrying about the next riff and the next reorg and you know, getting laid off and working for a package and not for what, what, what your passion is in life. You know, God only gives us one life. When we get to this point in our career, we're all kind of halfway through our working time frame. You only have so many shots on goal you can do on that. And when you get to the end, you know, you ought to be able to look back and say, hey, I did some cool stuff. 
on your work side, just your professional side. Do something interesting and meaningful. So if you want to do a startup, thousands of founders have done it before. I'm a history major and I founded half a dozen of them. If I can do it, you can do it. Yeah, but you got to decide I'm going to do it. And then you're going to have to quit your job or get fired. Yeah, because you can't get the mind share to do it if you're working for somebody else. It just, you, could you possibly, it never happens. And why would I back you if you won't even back yourself? So what, you, you got to like just make that base decision of I'm going to jump. And in the Valley, unlike Houston, people tend not to say I'm going to do this startup on this tech or this problem. They tend to say, I'm going to do a startup. I want to do one. Mm -hmm. And then they get together, the three of us get together, and we say, you know what, Dan, this come from my ideas. Dan's like, that's a stupid idea, Neil. And Josh's like, well, that may be a smart idea, but I don't, I don't like that. I'm, that's boring. And, and we just kind of talk our ideas out until one resonates enough for the three of us to commit to each other Love and it. jump in. And it may be my idea, but I wasn't going to do my idea. I was going to do a startup. And it may be that Dan launches one, and I'm like, hell, and he, he's got money, he's got customers interested, I'm all in. And I jump in and I become a co-founder. Maybe I just jump in to join yours because my idea is not good enough. But we do it because we're going to go do a startup. And what I, people, in, especially in our Texas ecosystem, just an energy ecosystem, need to listen is, look, yeah, uh, Google built a company the size of Shell in a decade on $25 million in venture capital. Right? That's the time frame it takes Shell to build a single platform or bring one field online. You want to change the world, you can do it. But you got to jump. You probably fail. You might have to run three or four sprints. You might have to get bloodied a little bit. It's going to be stressful. And you should do it with partners. But if you're going to do it, just do it. Stop talking Excellent. and just do it. That's awesome advice. It is awesome advice. Passion is what I'm hearing in there, too. Mm -hmm. I love it. Absolutely. So, Dan, you going to quit Pickering and do a startup, or do you consider Pickering the startup? Uh, Pickering's a startup. All right, all right, fine. We'll give you a, we'll give you a latitude for another twenty four months. And there then we we'll go. Yeah, carpet I've got on you to quit. Two hundred and seventy days to continue to. to You're make doing a lot over work. there. That's a full startup. It feels yeah. energetic and electric over there. Josh, yeah. what about you? You going to do one? Actually, I'm doing them. I'm. I'm wait, a, wait. What do you mean them? I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. And what's I've, your startup? Multiple. Businesses. Multiple. Yeah, I have multiple businesses. No, no, no. What's your startup? One. You got to pick, man. I I have multiple businesses. I have one that I that we've started up. Um, it's a it's a IT consulting business that we do. Okay. And um, in fact, the guys across the hallway from me right now, I'll, I'll go introduce you to him after this podcast. Well, then shut down this podcast. Yeah. Shut down whatever other distractions you're playing around. Job. But this with, podcast, and just though, go do it. Is is a megaphone for everything. That's why I keep this business. I'm not saying it's not a great podcast. I mean, no, no, you got but Dan. All, but all of them, all of the, so the upright, see, I'm, I don't want to get bored with, we have such a great thing to keep going here. Let's no, you, you asked the question about the advice to startups. This, this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. It's like, yes. great, pick one and just do it. Yes. I would say that distraction is one of my weaknesses as an entrepreneur. There's no question. We spend a lot of time telling founders, you know, man, you got to focus. Yeah. Not, be, not because we don't like all the ideas, but because to maximize your we chance We call them success, shiny things. Shiny things. I like shiny things. It's the pennies on the ground. Yeah, we call them shiny things. And right? we, we try but very hard to avoid shiny things. Let's say you want to get Dan and I to jump in on Upright Digital with mm -hmm. you. Like, jump in hard. You're going to pry him How much money do you have in your pocket right now? No, uh, this oh. isn't about the money. This is about jumping in with you. Oh. Right? You got three things to do. I'm out. Right. If you the moment you tell me 
And I had, a, I had an entrepreneur the other day. He's a, he's a professor. Yeah, dude, smart as hell, right? He's got like four things he wants to do and he wants other people to do them. He wants his grad students and I'm like, and I told him, and he wants me to give him some money and, and these are some good ideas. And, and, I, and I won't tell his name obviously, but I told him, I said, look, man, you know, I, I'm not sure which one of these I like the best, but they're, you probably have a dog that'll hunt in here. And I'll tell you what, I don't care. I will give you a check, small one, but you got to pick, pick and, and jump. You got to pick one and you have to jump full time until it lives or dies. I love it. And I, he's like, no, I can't do that. And I'm like, well, then find another investor. I would love to go into that more if, if we had more time. And I really would. <laughs> and I'm not, I, actually, that's a subject that I, I would truly love to explore more. But other than um, we, have, we have to close this I one because I, I really cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation with you. And I feel like your passion is just, uh, it's infectious. I mean, there, you're, I, I was, as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, is he doing this for money? Is he doing this for passion? Why, why does he do this? And I, I don't want you to answer that because I, and I mean that because I, I just, I wondered why it, you're, you're, it is so clear that you None love what you're doing. Mutually exclusive. But you, but you love it. But why am I doing the podcast? No, no, Cause no. Cause you got Dan. No, but why are you doing? Dan's well, my favorite. Dan's ever, he's a lot of people's favorite. I, no question. The, the, my, my biggest complaint in life this year was y'all been doing podcasts and y'all didn't invite me. I want to be on your podcast. This was this is the one, but you, you you're, it's and clear you just have such a passion for it. And it's been such a hit that we couldn't even get it done in one go. That's round. right. We had that's to the do, charitable version of Neil. You we, talk too much. We had to do two go rounds, and so we always finish every go round with our lightning round. Oh yes, you were telling me about this. I, All right, I'm, I have warned you I, about the lightning. As round. you were doing this, I just realized the people that listened to episode one. They're they're going to come for yeah. There's they're no have to. there's no lighting round in episode well played, one. Well played, Dan. Well yes, played. Yes, Strong. exactly. The tease. Um, so, Neil, the lightning round rules okay. are: um, we've spent an hour and change getting to know you. Our listeners have, and so now you don't get to expound on anything. You just have to answer, and it tells us something about you um, in, in one or two word answers. So here we go with the lightning round. I will start, Josh. Okay. Wait, one or two words? That's all I get? Yes. You, no, so these questions have a yes or a no or an answer. So they have an answer. The first question, Yellowstone or White Lotus? I would probably say Yellowstone, but I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Somehow I knew one word answers were going to kill you, Neil. Okay, so you said Yellowstone. But we'll you say Yellowstone. Okay. Cash or crypto? You're bullish or bearish on the S&P 500 for 2023. From here, always bullish. F-150 gasoline or F-150 lightning? Oh, I own the first, I want the second. Does the Ukraine conflict continue into 2024? How the hell should I know? Fair. <laughs> By the way, we just let him get away with that whole F-1 thing, but that's fine, F-150. Um, Chick-fil-A or Whataburger? Neither. Oh. Country or rock and roll? Country. Uh, work from home or uh, work from the office? Office. Do we think we're going to have another U.S. IRA type of bill in the next three years? If the Democrats get elected again. Hydrogen or CCUS? Hydrogen. And the only consistent question 
on every podcast is, will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Not in my lifetime. Oh, oh God. Oh, the He's, pain, the pain. I, I fear that you're right. Um, but I am excited about the new hire. Yes, me too. Yeah, that's a good hire. That is a good one. It is a good one. Yeah. Neil Dykeman, we will have you back. You've great. A, you've fantastic. been a great guest. Yes, you have. Remind us again, we learn more about Energy Transition Ventures at energytransitionventures.com. Perfect. We okay. don't start companies if we can't get the domain name around that name. Perfect. Neil, thanks so much for coming in. That was great. Thanks, guys. Thanks.